As you probably know, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And to celebrate, InfoSec is giving away a free month of its InfoSec Skills Platform. This is a subscription-based skills training platform for cybersecurity experts. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, please go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast. And don't forget to claim your free offer before October 31st. Welcome to another episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast, the weekly podcast in which I talk with a variety of industry thought leaders to discuss the latest cybersecurity trends, how those trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, as well as tips for those trying to break in or move up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Today's episode comes from a recent YouTube live session, which was streamed live on September 24th. In it, InfoSec's product marketing manager, Jeff Peters, and CompTIA's chief technology evangelist, James Stanger, talk in depth about how to break into the cybersecurity field. It's been well documented that a critical shortage of cybersecurity professionals means that there are more cybersecurity job openings than there are qualified professionals, nearly 3 million more. Organizations would love to fill these positions, and you might even want to fill one of these positions yourself. But you could be asking yourself now, how do you even start learning cybersecurity? During the course of this live stream, Jeff and James will discuss using the CompTIA career path to build your skills and land your first security job, why Security Plus has become the go-to entry-level cybersecurity certification, the different types of entry-level cyber jobs available, and how you can train to earn your next CompTIA certification. To help you accelerate your cybersecurity studies, InfoSec is giving away a free month of the InfoSec Skills Platform as part of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month in October. Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast and use the Start Learning link to sign up for your free month of skills training. And be sure to sign up before October 31st. And now let's listen to James Stanger of CompTIA and InfoSec's Jeff Peters and their live stream entitled Breaking into Cybersecurity with CompTIA. All right. Hello, everyone out there, and welcome to InfoSec's first ever YouTube live stream. Very excited to have you guys all with us. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about breaking into cybersecurity, uh, basically everything entry level, you know, involving training, certifications, careers, skills you need, all that stuff. Um, just a little background on why we're doing this live stream in the first place. Uh, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And that month is really all about training and awareness and getting education out there. And that's really what we're all about here at InfoSec. First, you know, let's kick it over to James for your introduction. I'm Jeff Peters. I'm the product marketing manager for InfoSec training. Uh, but the person you really want to hear from today is James Stanger. <laughs> Maybe give a little bit of background about yourself. Sure, man. Hi, I'm James. I'm uh, uh, the chief technology evangelist. I always forget that title because it's such a fancy one uh, here at CompTIA. And my job is to talk to IT pros such as yourself, also beginning students, uh, everybody else in between. Uh, and I go and I uh, travel kind of around the world talking to uh, hiring managers about the skills that they need. Uh, this year, I've been in India, for example, talking to people who do a lot of help desk. I've been in, the, in London talking to cybersecurity professionals. I was at RSA San Francisco talking to hiring managers who are um, cybersecurity uh, folks. And so I talk with people about the essential skills. And then I go back and I talk to our exam development folks. I talk to our content development folks uh, to make sure things stay relevant. And then I also do a lot of webinars and things like that. Um, I've got, uh, golly, 20, 
or so years or more uh, in uh, things such as penetration testing, also helping folks with help desk, uh, a lot about the open source and Linux, done a lot of work uh, in that over the years. Uh, so I'm very pleased to be here, Jeff. Thank you very much. And, th and thank you, InfoSec, for having us, having uh, CompTIA here. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, you do a lot of stuff. Just wondering if there's a, a favorite aspect or a favorite, you know, kind of skill that you get to use. Uh, since we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, cybersecurity skills today, is there anything in particular you enjoy doing the most? You know, a lot of the things I really enjoy doing the most are doing like analytics for security. Uh, it's really fun not only to see attack. Uh, it's really fun not only to conduct attacks. And when I say conduct attacks, I don't mean like attacking unwitting people. I'm talking about pen tasting. Uh, pen testing is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to listen in on what the pen testers or the attackers are doing to do analytics. So I find that fun. And then I'm a big Linux geek. I like Linux stuff and the cloud. So mm -hmm. there you go. Yeah. Uh, Good question. Yeah. So let's uh, start by talking a little bit about some entry level, you know, cybersecurity career landscape overall. Uh, so we have some numbers on the screen here. Uh, I guess the two that really stand out to me is one, you know, you have three and a half million. That's the number of projected on-field cybersecurity positions by 2021. Um, and then another interesting stat is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They expect a 32% growth in cybersecurity jobs over the next decade um, from 2018 to 2028. So obviously tons of demand out there already, but it looks yeah. like over the next decade, we're going to even see more growth. And, you know, everyone always talks about the cybersecurity skills gap and how hard yeah. it is for organizations to fill positions. So um, just wondering your thoughts overall on, you know, the, the career landscape as it is today and particularly how it relates to entry level. You know, there is a major uh, need out there. There's no question. And I think a lot of people kind of say to themselves, well, you know, if we need uh, cybersecurity professionals, what about jobs getting offshored? You know, or, you know, in other words, the, the jobs used to be available in whatever country you happen to be in, let's say the United States, uh, and then they get shipped to somewhere else. I think a lot of other people kind of worry about artificial intelligence and things like automation and orchestration. These various forms of automation. I think they worry about that taking away jobs. Uh, here's the thing. If you know your fundamentals, if you take the time to learn your fundamentals, then you can become a cybersecurity person uh, eventually. Uh, uh, and it doesn't take that much time, but it takes a real long time if you don't learn those fundamentals. So Jeff, you know, talking about people who are just starting out, I would say one of the first things you've got to learn about are the different kind of endpoints. Uh, that are happening today. And by endpoints, I'm talking about all the different types of things that need to be secured, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and that's that's interesting point maybe we could talk about a little bit. You know, I think sure. traditionally, you know, uh, you know, I'm in my 30s, so growing up, you know, I think people had a different definition of an endpoint. Now we have, you know, the cloud and all these other technologies. Um, is that I guess that from an entry level standpoint, is that much more challenging now that you have all these different devices and potential endpoints instead of just you know having one kind of physical thing you have to lock down? Yeah, it's a good point. A good question. I, I think um, uh, it is. Uh, I don't know if it's more challenging. It's just the diversity is there, and the diversity is kind of cool. But here's the deal: uh, uh, if you're in your 30s, then you probably are used to your notebook computer. You're used to a desktop computer and a mobile phone. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right. And in your 30s, let's see, 10 years ago in your 20s. So, I mean, a mobile phone was a fairly cool thing back when you were in your wild 20s. Is that the idea or was it earlier than that? Yeah, I think I was 17 when I got my first flip phone. (laughs) Yeah. And it was and that was what was available back then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the smartphone for you showed up when you were in your early 20s. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Well, so those are kind of the three form factors that are the traditional ones that and the tablet, I guess I should talk about the tablet. But nowadays, there are so many more uh, uh, form factors, I'll call them form factors, so many more types of endpoints. Um, So now you have IP enabled watches, friend of mine, uh, uh, left his phone in the Uber uh, you know, car that he was, uh, on his yeah. way to the airport. So he's at the airport and, um, and he uh, ended up, you know, he had to run in and, and find some sort of, there are no pay phones anymore. Right. So he went, ran in and, uh, got some airlines person to give him a phone or whatever. So he could call the Uber and then he eventually got the thing back. And I remember, and I looked at his smartwatch and I said, that smartwatch, does it have a, a telephone number on it? And he goes, and he kind of hit himself on the head like he could have just used his smartwatch to make the phone call because not only does his smartwatch connect via Wi-Fi to his phone, right? Mm-hmm. But he actually had a phone number, dedicated phone number. That watch was also, you know, Dick Tracy time. It, it could actually yeah. make phone calls itself. I guess what I'm trying to say is that we it takes a while for us human beings to realize how IP enabled our world is. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, our smartwatches, uh, uh, you know, seriously, wearables, whether it be clothing or whatever, is all becoming IP enabled. But there's another uh, an, a type of diverse endpoint out there, that IoT device, the webcam, the gaming device, right? Uh, I, I don't, Jeff, do you do games? I don't, uh, believe it or not, my yeah, kids. I do a little Xbox, you know. Every now Xbox, and then. okay. Yeah. So, see, yeah. that's an IP uh, yeah. device. Um, I, we see people carrying a lot of different IP enabled devices. The other thing I want to bring up is they call it operational technology. It's just a fancy phrase for saying any physical device that normally wouldn't have an IP address stuck on it, and it does now. And by Mm -hmm. physical device, I'm talking about the power grid, mechanical devices, things that are on an assembly chain, machines. Uh, For years, we've been uh, doing network connectivity to things like, uh, uh, what's it called, Uh, pipelines and power uh, supply generate generators, uh, wind turbines, and things like that. But more and more with operational technology, we're sticking IP addresses on everything. So as you get into um, eventually cybersecurity, but as you get into the IT world, you got to start thinking about all these different endpoints. And I and I've just listed a bunch of physical ones: smartwatches, um, pipelines, um, mm-hmm. you know, robots, you know, all these things. When I say robots that are assembling cars in Detroit or or Kentucky or Japan, wherever. The other thing that is interesting, though, is uh, what I call logical endpoints. I guess I don't call them logical endpoints. That's what they're called. Um, In the cloud. Nowadays, you can set up a uh, cloud um, instance in Azure or uh, Microsoft Azure or in uh, AWS or anywhere else of a logical desktop that you can set up and it'll travel with you wherever you want to go. And you can access it on your mobile phone. You can access it on your um, notebook or whatever. And it goes with you no matter where. So even, oh gosh, I left my computer. It doesn't matter anymore. You, if you can get up to the cloud via somebody else's uh, device. You, so there are so many different types of endpoints that you have to support now as a, as a tech support professional. And I would argue that's kind of the first step that that you that you're probably going to take getting into the IT world. 
mm-hmm. is this idea of being a tech support professional. And that's mm-hmm. where you learn to, to uh, support not only the consumer endpoints, like Jeff, you and I have been talking about, but also uh, you'll start supporting servers, you know, the things that we go up to, you know, whether it be a, a web server or a database server, e-commerce, you get the idea. As a tech support professional, it's a very rich area. Um, that's why, I don't know if you can see it, my shirt here says A+. Plus. Can mm-hmm. you see that, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, dig deep. Right. Yeah. There you go. Uh, the idea that with A+, plus, you do dig deep, uh, not only into into endpoints, but in all the eventually all the networking uh, uh, things that you need to learn in order to move yeah. on to become a security person. Yeah. So let's talk about you know the big three certifications. You know, sure, I know man. I know recently Security Plus passed half a million certification holders. Um, so to my knowledge, it's you know the most popular security certification in the world, yep. and I think that's the goal um, probably for people watching. Uh, you know, you want to go A plus and network plus, and then eventually get that security plus certification. That's right. um, so why don't we walk through uh, the different certifications here? Um, sure, man. Yeah. You know, so you obviously you want to start with A plus. So, you know, let's say someone really has no cybersecurity um, knowledge. Maybe they're fresh out of high school, fresh out of college, or maybe they're in another career. You know, we see a lot of people transitioning into cybersecurity um, from, you, you know, all sorts of you know, different roles. So uh, if someone wants to get started, is, you know, the A plus kind of the, the the first thing that they should pursue, I would imagine? A lot of times it is. Um, uh, if somebody is really making a transition and they've not been tech savvy, we see people who are uh, what we call pioneers. They may not know their tech real well, but uh, they want to get into it for whatever reason, because there are, first of all, there are a lot of opportunities in it. So we can start them out with A+. That's a classic starting point. There's also something we call ITF+, uh, uh, Internet Tech, uh, sorry, uh, anyway, uh, Technology f- uh, Fundamentals, ITF. Mm-hmm. And that, is, that really sits before A+. And that's something that uh, people, if they really need to make sure they get their fingerprints on things like, uh, you know, the beginnings of, I shouldn't say the beginnings, but it's not a history course, but to understand what an ARP uh, what ARP is, what a MAC address is, to understand uh, how computers of various ilk, various types work, not just a PC. We're, you know, we're in the post-PC days these days, but how mm-hmm. those things work, how search works, how networking operates, um, how storage works. Uh, so ITF Plus could be a really great way uh, to start things out. But A-plus is often where a lot of people start. And here's something I want, I'd like to bring up. As people start their career down the, or up, I guess we'll say the big three, I'll say down because uh, I'm a real pathway-based kind of person. I love to do a lot of hiking um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's all about learning pathways for me. So I'll say you go down the path. And it's a good path. A-plus, uh, a+ network-plus, and security-plus. People will call them the big three because those are the ones that have done uh, very well of, of, of many of our certs. But the reason why they've done well is you've got your endpoints in A+, right? And then with Network+, plus, you've got how to stick those endpoints together, how to network them together. And uh, then with Security+, plus, you uh, basically talk about how to secure the network devices and, or, uh, the, uh, and also the, uh, uh, the transmissions that go between endpoints. So another thing I'd like to bring up real quick, as you go down A plus, network plus, and security plus, like you said, if you got a lousy degree like I did, uh, uh, I got a degree in English. And then I, I made up for that by getting a master's degree in <laughs> English. And then I made up for that, though, by getting a PhD in 
unemployment and English. And so uh, what I did after a while is I, uh, well, I had two and three quarter kids and I switched back to, uh, to uh, security, to networking. Uh, so I myself am a pioneer in a sense. I, I, I'm what I call a retread. And part of my retread uh, going down the pathway was getting the big three. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it majorly uh, helped uh, my career. But so I got all those college degrees and I want to point something out. If you don't have a college degree, you don't need to go get one in order to get A plus certified or to go down that pathway. If you know what I mean, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. More and more companies are not asking for a four-year degree yet. If you go into management, maybe a four-year degree would make sense eventually, but why not get a job with A plus, network plus, security plus, and then have the company pay for your college degree as you're working? I mean, this is this is kind of the new pattern that's happening. Yeah, yeah I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about A plus in particular. Uh, you know, recently sure. our, our marketing team at InfoSec we went out to uh, Vegas for Black Hat, and you guys had your your CompTIA partner yeah, at the cool. same time. Yeah. So I was able to go over and sit in on your talk on the A plus, and uh, there was just some really interesting stuff you brought up about how how you know the help desk role is maybe changing and evolving. Um, so yeah, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that to people who are going into that role, you know, really know what to expect. You bet. Um, over the year, uh, years, I've been lucky enough to go talk to various companies and they tell me how their help desk role is evolving. And one of the first things is, is that uh, there's not a whole lot uh, of repair that happens uh, in corporate environments. And we could talk about how that's a good or a bad thing. And when I say not a lot of repair, I'm not saying none, but we are in the post-break-fix period. I, I remember 20 years ago when I first started getting A-plus certified, uh, you know, you actually did. You got into the PC and you replaced a video card or you determined what the IRQ problem was or the hard disk. You get the idea. Nowadays, what happens more and more is if there's a problem with your mobile phone or with your Windows Surface or with your MacBook or whatever – you throw that thing away, right? Or that thing goes away. And the information that's on that device then gets shifted to a new device. So what's happened is that with the death of the break fix period uh, era, uh, I kind of was worried in a sense that, well, that means the death of A+. I mean, who, if, if you're doing that support and it's now gone, you know, the fixing uh, phys- physical devices, and that's largely gone. I shouldn't say fully gone then, you know, we only need this many A-plus people instead of this many. Well, actually, it's we need more. Uh, there are more jobs posted for tech support than ever before, than, than there were in 2003 when BreakFix was still a thing. Um, and the reason is, is because you've gone to logical forms of support. You're now basically saying, okay, I've got a, 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 a phone here that is breaking. I, I don't know if you can see it here, but it has all mm-hmm. sorts of you know, cracks on the phone and things yeah. like that. Um, that's, I'm getting one, uh, a new phone actually, uh, because this thing is, is too broken. Uh, so the question becomes, and you could say, well, James, that's done automatically now. If you go to a new Android, all that stuff will get shifted over automatically auto, or automagically. Uh, not so fast. We need tech support people to understand how all of that works. We also need tech support people to do the account resets, to set up the multi-factor authentication, all of those things, because a lot of end users aren't interested in being power users. They're interested in using that technology, and they need a tech support person to help them do that. 
Mm-hmm. And so there, that's one reason why uh, there are more uh, tech support jobs than ever before. When I was in India, I was talking to, uh, I was in Hyderabad and I was in also uh, Bangalore. And between those two places, I can't remember, was it 10,000 or 14,000 tech support workers? And Dell had, uh, was having uh, very serious discussions about, you know, what is the future of the help desk looking like? You know, will we even have a help desk? Do we do we even need one now that things are moving to the cloud and things like that? And they had a very honest discussion with themselves. They brought me in as part of that. And the answer is, yeah, they, they need tech support. But those skills that the average tech support person needs are radically fundamentally different than there, there were even five years ago or 10 years ago the tech support world is much less script-based. And by script-based, if any of you have ever been in a tech support job before, back in the old days, it was somebody calls in uh, with a, and and the possibilities of the devices that you would support would be three or four devices. And then you'd say, okay, well, what's the device? And okay, have you rebooted it? Um, And then and then the person describes what the problem is after you ask if they've rebooted it. And then, you basically type in a couple of things and then a series of scripts will come up and then you just read the scripts out to the customer. That's how the typical repetitive nature of customer support. That's how things have been for years. But over the past five years, especially that script based uh, support where you just read something that comes up to you that anybody can uh, read two things have happened. One uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning can read stuff too and mm-hmm. probably better than you, right? And so, the, and it can deliver that via a chat bot. It can deliver that via a self-support page, much cheaper and much faster. But what's happening, the second thing that's happening though, is that the problems that end users are bringing up are more complex. They require a thinking brain to evaluate the situation. And artificial intelligence is very good at taking known knowledge and then repeating it. Okay. Human beings actually aren't that good at it. Uh, We can repeat stuff, but then we get really bored of it and we do a lousy job of it. Computers, they never get bored really, right? Mm -hmm. But what computers are lousy at is uh, if something unexpected comes up, if there's a trend uh, that uh, that has a lot of outliers in it, computers don't get that sort of thing. So that's why we need somebody with really good people skills. It's one of the major things. Really good uh, listening and analytics skills. And also who can take knowledge that artificial intelligence gives them and then draw conclusions because computers still aren't all that great at drawing conclusions. You'll read stuff in the media about how, oh, they're figuring it out. Yeah, they are figuring it out. Uh, But for the next several years, they ain't going to figure it out yet. So yeah, yeah. Those are some things, Jeff. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's uh, spend just a few more minutes talking about the other two certifications, uh, and then we'll open it up, let you do, you know, a demo, kind of show some stuff in action. Sure, man. Um, and if anyone out there watching has any questions, feel free to drop them into the live chat, and we'll we'll answer those as well. Um, so yeah, it sounds like A plus is really associated with you know the help desk role. Uh, Very much. Mm-hmm. Going on to the network plus. I mean, what what kind of jobs is that associated with, and you know. How does that really expand on the A plus? You know, with Network Plus, uh, that's a really exciting one. Uh, to be honest, uh, the one that I like to geek out the most is Network Plus. With A plus, it will introduce networking. With Network Plus, you're really going to learn more about 
uh, exactly how not only uh, local area networks operate so that you can set up your home office or uh, things like that or help support other uh, business offices. What you're really going to get into with Network Plus is understand exactly how the internet works today. So you're going to learn about IPv4, uh, the, the fourth ver the, the version of IP that most people know about. You're going to learn about IPv6. Uh, which is the uh, latest and greatest version about routing, about how to set up uh, uh, VLANs, uh, uh, virtual LANs on switches. Uh, so the idea is that with Network Plus, you will be able to say, okay, I can, for that company, as they, uh, as they move to the cloud, I can make sure that the network pipe, right, the network bandwidth is good enough and big enough. And you'll learn about things like quality of service. Like Jeff, you and I have been talking, right? Um, the reason why you and I are able to talk so well on this, and also so that you can see my lovely little dungeon that I'm sitting in and my lovely little shirt here, is because um, quality of service has been established between your uh, network and mine. You and I didn't do it. It was done by a networking professional. And to prioritize voice, because if voice doesn't get properly prioritized, then it gets mixed in with all the other stuff, all your web traffic or your mm -hmm. email traffic. And, uh, and when that happens, then you, weird things happen. Uh, you know, drops, uh, the wonderful buffer circle or whatever, or people's voices start going like that. You know, you've, you've heard all these things. Yeah. Um, you'll be doing that sort of thing as a network professional. But you won't understand things like quality of service or how to do it unless you first get some of those fundamentals about things like what a MAC address is, what ARP uh, is, um, understanding how IPv6 uh, or IPv4 encapsulates uh, packets and how those things work. Yeah, I'm always interested to ask people if there's anything that's particularly difficult for people to grasp, like any you know, mm. common concepts, you know, like in Network Plus or in A Plus that you find you know, students who are nudist to that oh, IT and security, question. you know, I have the most difficulty grasping, or if it's, you know, maybe if it changes person to person. The first thing I'll say is that a lot of people think in order to get into an IT job, they need to be a math uh, genius, you know, calculus mm -hmm. expert, take all this math. Um, trust me, I call myself a math atheist. I'm not even sure it exists. Um, it does. Uh, um, but I've only been recently, last 10 years, been able to even do any sort of numbers in my head. And I'm pretty good at using computers. So you don't have to be a math genius. The other thing is you don't have to be a programmer to use mm -hmm. a computer. It, it helps. It does help. Uh, a good uh, networker, good tech support person should be able to create little scripts that automate things and things like that. But anyway, um, uh, your, your question was uh, the tough things. I think one of the first things in Network Plus is that idea of uh, how computers communicate with binary um, uh, and uh, converting things between binary, hex, and whatever. I guess I'm getting into kind of computer scienceville. Um, but I've found that understanding subnetting, for example, required a certain amount of math that I found difficult. But you should mm -hmm. learn how to do subnetting. I realize there are subnetting calculators now and things that do that automatically. But you, as you go in and have to configure a VLAN, you will be asked for a CIDR notation uh, for your network. You will be asked for, well, what's the subnet mask? Um, you may not need to go into the, the zeros and ones and the bits and all that stuff of calculation. Uh, but actually, if you get that background and that foundation, you'll find yourself using that 
constantly. I found that kind of tough. I think another thing that is confusing are all the different environments that you need to learn. It's like some people just want to stick with Windows. Some people just want to stick with Linux um, or with Mac or with whatever. Um, I think juggling and making sure that you are equally skillful in, in all of these different environments is a very good idea. And that's, I think that's kind of difficult for people too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we touched on A plus and network plus, maybe just briefly touch on, you know, what is it you're going to learn in security plus? Is that, you know, kind of a broad, um, you know, kind of touch on everything and mm-hmm. get a good baseline of knowledge type of cert or how would you describe that? You know, uh, we focus all of our certs on particular job roles. So with Security Plus, you're going to be doing basically uh, something that a uh, that a level one uh, security person would be doing. Uh, it'll have to be called level one or a security, uh, a security professional. You could even say something like, Oh, I would say the job role, suddenly I'm blanking here. Sorry. Uh, the job role uh, that is important for security plus would be something like a security administrator. Mm-hmm. And so this is somebody who would be able to go in and take a look at the uh, uh, log files of a Linux system, log files of a Windows system or a Mac and say, hmm, something is odd going on. Something odd is going on here. Some a user has been added. And uh, or there's an open session that has been open that we sh- that shouldn't be. So this is somebody who can understand. For example, um, we'll go with an older technology: firewalls. Firewalls used to be the greatest thing in the 20 years ago or more, 25 years ago. They're now table stakes, but you still need to understand how they operate. Security Plus teaches how to uh, block or how to allow certain forms of traffic. But so you want to understand how to do that unless you understand your ports. Uh, you know, there's 65,000 and change, um, over 65,000 individual ports for any one IP address. Well, so how do you understand how each of those ports work? You don't have to understand 65,000, you know, 500, mm-hmm. what is it, 30 ports. But you do need to understand the privileged ports, you know, from zero to 1,024. You do need, do need to understand how sockets are opened up. Um, uh, a security plus is going to teach you how an application, for example, such as a web browser, opens up a network connection. Uh, you'll understand um, how to uh, harden an operating system, uh, so to shut down certain operating uh, certain uh, services, and how to start uh, certain other services. Uh, you'll understand how uh, viruses work so that you can really truly understand how, why updating uh, virus definitions is important. Um, if, uh, uh, if there's been an attack, um, what does a SYN flood look like? S-Y-N. You know, mm. what does that look like? And But you're not going to understand what a SYN flood is unless you understand how TCP, This I'm, I'm getting back into Network Plus, how TCP makes a connection. Uh, it's basically a little conversation. Uh, it's called a three-way handshake that each time um, a SYN connection is made, um, a TCP connection is made, it starts out with uh, uh, a certain handshake, but that can be manipulated, that handshake. So in Security Plus, you learn about how that handshake is manipulated and it can be manipulated to turn it into a tack that denies services, uh, that ends services that can actually crash systems or flood network pipes, uh, fill up the bandwidth. You can also manipulate a TCP connection 
to make it look as if you and I are talking, but a bad guy comes along and knocks you out of the equation, right? You're now not in that network uh, connection and the bad guy can take over that connection. So I think, Jeff, I'm talking to you or I'm sending you an email, but in fact, I'm sending it to a bad guy. So mm -hmm. those are redirection attacks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so let's just talk real briefly about some entry-level careers. Sure, um, you know, I know, you know, you've kind of been talking about how each certification applies to these different job roles. Uh, one of the things that we do with InfoSec Skills, the, the training platform that you can get free for 30 days if you go to that URL there. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Is we, we've mapped all of our training to the, the CyberSeq roles. So there's, you know, I know CompTIA and Burning Glass and NICE, they partnered for, you know, CyberSeq.org and... Um, yeah. I think, did you have some involvement in that? Um, no, personally, uh, well, a little bit, uh, a little bit. Mostly that was done by our research team, a guy named Tim Herbert, who, yeah. who led that. And it was an NSA grant, and he worked um, with a lot of different uh, secure, uh, security uh, providers as well, other certifications, security certifications. With CyberSea, you can go up there, and you can identify what, uh, through Burning Glass and through CompTIA, what the job roles are and what the open jobs and then through the um uh through the nists through the nice initiative uh, we mapped it to um, a lot of uh, open job recs uh, in the department mm -hmm. of defense for example and then you know uh, throughout each of the united states anyway we went in there and and were able to identify not only the jobs that are available but the types of people who are certified and and you know how many more <laughs> certified people we need yeah pretty cool thing yeah, and we, we actually did a uh, video podcast with Tim Herbert. So if anyone out there watching oh, yeah. is interested to learn more about CyberSeq, uh, you could check that out on our YouTube channel. Um, also, I should bring up in the YouTube description, we have a, a four-page flyer on breaking into cybersecurity. And on page three of that flyer, we have all 10 of the roles listed. And you can actually click on any of the roles, and it'll take you to our website. And all of the training, all the CompTIA training, and, and all the other training that we offer is actually mapped to those roles. So uh, like, for example, here we have four entry-level roles from CyberSeq, Cybersecurity Specialist, right. Cybercrime Analyst, Incident Analyst, and IT Auditor. Um, so if you want to see, you know, what specific trainings are associated with, you know, either of those roles, you can download that flyer, go to our website, and, you know, and see all the, all the trainings there. Um, it's really cool. Yeah, so just, you know, overall, you know, someone works their way up, they get to Security Plus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what kind of jobs and tasks can they be expected to do? You know, like I mentioned, we have the, the specialist, the cybercrime analyst, incident analyst, some of the, the roles here in CyberSeq. Uh, can maybe just talk about a couple of different job options out there? You bet. Uh, one of the first uh, jobs as a security administrator is somebody who, uh, for example, I was just talking last night to a gentleman who's uh, Security Plus certified, and his job as the as a um, I'll use the term entry level. Um, it's always tough to say entry level security. It's kind of an oxymoron, right? Um, but uh, he is a security person who is at the beginning of his career in the cybersecurity world, and so his job uh, he works for a healthcare company. And his job is to uh, listen for sin floods, for floods of network traffic that are not legitimate. He's, his job is also to help listen in uh, on, uh, for uh, uh, botnet attacks and also ransomware attacks. And then he basically says, uh, runs a few applications to determine the true IP address uh, origin, the, where those attacks are coming from. And then he basically... Uh, creates a report and sends that in as a support ticket to uh, uh, 
network professionals and to uh, more advanced security professionals so that they can reconfigure things such as firewalls, uh, intrusion detection devices, and endpoint security tools to, uh, to deny those floods and to uh, make it so that the systems are less uh, uh, prone or vulnerable to attacks. So this person isn't actually reconfiguring the firewall himself, but he takes a look at the log files and he takes a look at, um, he uses an application, uh, a particular SIM called ARCnet, A-R-C-N-E-T. There are many of these types of things out there. There's Alien Vault. That's another one like ARCnet. There's Splunk. So an entry-level, uh, a beginning uh, security person doesn't configure those things like ARCnet, doesn't uh, go in and and mess with those things, but they do read the results of uh, and the readouts and the uh, uh, how should I put it the uh, uh, the visualization that comes out of there, uh, and then they uh, basically uh, help send alerts along the way. So that's what a, a one entry level person does. I know another person uh, who uh, basically goes around and helps harden uh, servers. Uh, hardening meaning. Uh, improve the patch level of the server. So if there's a, a vulnerability out there, that person makes sure that the patches get applied. Uh, he's responsible for uh, working with thousands of different, well, probably, yeah, thousands of different servers um, and endpoints and, and uh, switches to make sure that they are less vulnerable to attack. That's what he does all day long. And it doesn't sound like a, a, a hard job or whatever, but here's the thing. It's easy to say, well, it's easy to apply a patch. You can do that automatically. You don't need that. Well, that's actually not the case. A lot of times the servers that we use have a lot of custom code on them, applications and things, that if you do a, a patch and update uh, the operating system, you may break that code. You may break the, app, the uh, programming that is on that server or on that system. So you have to be pretty savvy when you apply a network a patch on a network system, because you could end up breaking functionality that a business needs. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. uh, so those are things that a secure a security professional does. Yeah. A more advanced one would be a pen. You want to talk about more advanced stuff, or do you have other stuff you'd like? Uh, to ask? Well, first uh, we have a question from uh, someone in India, and they are wondering if cool. there's any security job roles specific, you know, to that country. So I, I guess that's kind of a bigger question is. You know, ge geographically, are they, you know, different, you know, different flavors or is it pretty much the same country to country? No, uh, I find that uh, there are certain flavors and things. For example, some countries, uh, uh, because they do more support for programming, uh, they might have, uh, when I say support for programming, in, in India, there are tr there's a tremendous amount of coding work that is done for the rest of the world. India does that. They mm. also do a lot of help desk and support. So anybody who does cybersecurity work, it may end up in those particular regions, uh, in those particular sectors, I should say, in help desk or in programming. Um, what I also find, though, is that it really is very similar from region to region. There are local flavors. But think of it this way. I know a gentleman. Uh, he doesn't live in India. He lives in uh, Romania. And his job is to secure. Uh, I'm oversimplifying. But his job is to secure oil derricks in the north uh in in uh, the north sea uh his job is to you know oil derricks the people the things that suck oil out of the ocean mm -hmm. right his job is to make sure that all of the the uh, windows and linux systems that control all of that oil pumping uh, facility are secure he also helps secure banks i talked to um a group of people 
in India. It was about, I would say there are about 35 people in the audience. A lot of them were pen testers. A lot of them were uh, who, you know, they go in and they break into, uh, uh, with authorization, they break into things to make sure, to test security. Uh, a lot of them were also people who were becoming security analysts. They're the ones that listen for attacks. The reason I bring this up is those guys worked for, uh, some of them worked for the local bank that, that I was presenting to, a uh, very large bank in India. So there's a lot of financial services that you could help uh, support in India. But I also noticed half of the audience, they were people who worked for a company that provided security services worldwide. And those people wanted to learn more about pen testing because as good as they were, they needed to learn more. And so uh, you're going to find that in India, yes, you could join a company that does penetration testing services for the world or security analytics services, meaning that they listen for attacks. So that's something that I've seen a lot of Indian companies, uh, a little, lot of Indian employees prepare for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see we have uh, just about 20 minutes left. So maybe sure. if you want to uh, do your demos next and kind of give us some hands-on. Sure, we'll stuff. give it a shot here, huh? Yeah. Uh, so uh, what we'll do here, folks, is uh, we can start at a more A-plus kind of, of level here. Uh, and talk mm -hmm. about the different types of endpoints that you support. And so let me see if I can share my screen here. Let's see if you can actually see it. Yeah, sure. And well, while you're uh, setting that up and getting ready, just really briefly want to take 60 seconds and um, tell everyone a little bit about InfoSec skills. So if you go to that URL there, infosecinstitute.com slash NCSAM 2019, uh, there's a form you fill out, just put in your name, email address, some contact information, and you'll get 30 days of free training to InfoSec Skills. There's kind of a, a little demo here playing on the screen, but uh, the whole idea with InfoSec Skills is you have uh, all these on-demand training. So, you know, there's all the different learning paths, like we're talking about now, A+, Network+, Plus, Security+, Plus, uh, plus more advanced ones, you know, like Pentest+, Plus, for example, CAS+, Plus, uh, and then other, you know, non-CompTIA certifications, uh, you know. And each of those learning paths is made up of courses, and we also have uh, hands-on cyber ranges. So uh, if you look here on the screen, uh, there's a, it's a brief demo of how those cyber ranges work. Uh, so, you know, for example, we have some questions about ethical hacking coming in. You know, if you are interested in learning ethical hacking, you can actually go into our ethical hacking cyber range and play around in these actual virtual machines and, and learn that way. Or you can take a, a, a learning path such as Pentest Plus, for example, uh, and watch the videos and get the courseware and stuff uh, for that. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, you know, obviously you can actually play around with this yourself for free. So I'd recommend if you want to know more about that, just go to the URL and, you know, get your InfoSec skills account and, and see what's in there. Um, but yeah, now you know, Jeff, will, oh, go ahead. Jeff, the fact that you bring that up is it is really cool uh, that you do hands-on training because the main way that you're going to do anything useful in the IT space is, is learn by, I call it learn by playing. You got to play with the technology. And so mm -hmm. it's really neat that you have a cyber range and you have hands-on ways to do it. And so, for example, if you want to become a pen tester, uh, you know, go the pen test route. So you're going down that pathway, you know, A plus, network plus, security plus, then pen test plus. Is a, is a great way to go. Um, but the only way you're going to be able to do that is to learn by doing. Um, and so one of the things I want to point out, sorry, I forgot to mute my phone. Um, I want to point out is, uh, for example, uh, you may think to yourself, well, gosh, James, I don't have a whole lot of money. Uh, it's hard for me to uh, 
do this stuff, to learn this stuff, you know, to learn the cloud, which uh, you learn in A plus first thing. And in networking, you learn how to network to the cloud. In Security Plus, you learn how to secure the cloud. Um, yeah. So what was your first cybersecurity job? Was it doing, you know, you know, some of my first uh, uh, jobs that I ever did was uh, doing basically uh, uh, from a security perspective, I was doing a lot of cybersecurity work. When I say cybersecurity work, I was doing pen testing. Okay. That's what I was asked to do. Um, when I first started doing it, I was asked to write up <laughs> the results of pen tests because uh, uh, I was a pretty good writer. Even though I got a PhD in English, I still could uh, write. <laughs> and so they, they, they knew that I knew my computing really well, my security really well, and they hated to write or they didn't really write very well. And so they said, James, you go and do that. So that was one of my first jobs. And then after a while, they said, well, James, we need you to go out and break into systems. All right. I think we're about out of time. If we want to wrap up here, you know, is there any final advice or anything that you have for, for people looking to get started in cybersecurity in terms of, you know, um, a key takeaway you want them to have going forward? One of the things that I would do is get yourself a good mentor. Uh, you know, somebody who's honest, <laughs> a good mentor uh, to get you into cybersecurity. And trust me, whoever she is, whoever he is, is going to basically say, well, there are some fundamental things you need to learn. And you're only going to learn those fundamentals by getting, uh, for example, uh, let me show you what I do. Uh, if you haven't already done it, get a virtualization solution. In this case, I'm using Oracle VirtualBox Manager. Or if you mm -hmm. have the time, uh, the money, uh, uh, you can go up and uh, you know create something on the cloud. Uh, uh, let's see the work. You know, this is the workspace uh, manager. You can do that. But in other words, uh, if you have a PC and you have the bandwidth, notice what I've done here. I've got how many systems there? I can't, I'm not going to count them. Over ten virtualized systems. Get them up and running, and learn how to play with them. I have an Ubuntu system here running. Uh, uh, this is a version, Ubuntu is a version of Linux. Get these systems going here. Uh, learn how they work. Uh, learn how, they, uh, how you can network uh, with them. Notice what I'm doing here. I'm pinging CNN.com via IPv4, and I'm pinging it via IPv6. Notice those two things look different. Why do those look different? What are those commands that worked? The only way you're going to really learn how to do things is by playing around with them. And so you can download versions of Windows 10 and tons of versions of Linux. Get them going and, and play with them. There's my main advice. Get a mentor and then play around. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today, James. We appreciate it. Anytime, man. Yeah, and everyone uh, watching out there, if you made it this far to the end, remember to go to that URL there, infosecinstitute.com slash NCSAM2019 and get your free 30 days of training. Jeff, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just as a reminder, many of our podcasts also contain video components, which can be found at our YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com and type in Cyberwork with InfoSec to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and other webinars. And as ever, search Cyberwork with InfoSec in your podcast app of choice for more episodes. As a reminder, in honor of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, InfoSec is giving away a free trial month of InfoSec Skills a subscription-based skills learning platform. If you'd like to learn more about this offer, please visit infosecinstitute.com slash podcast and use the Start Learning link to claim your free month. And again, do it before October 31st. 
Thank you once again to James Stanger and Jeff Peters, and thank you all for listening. We'll speak to you next week.